The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again and welcome to the 11th episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday 20th of May and in this podcast you will find out more about the latest updates on the war in Ukraine, Finland and Sweden's application to join NATO, the appointment of Elizabeth Bourne as Prime Minister in France, and the results of the German local elections in North Rhine-Westphalia. And as always, we will present to you the best editorials and opinion pieces on the enlargement of NATO to include Finland and Sweden and the debate on renewable energy. And now, let's dive right into the most important news of the week. The first news of the day focuses on the progress of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. More than a thousand Ukrainian soldiers are reportedly still inside the Azovstal steel plant in the city of Mariupol. According to Russian sources, as many as a thousand soldiers hiding in the plant have already surrendered to the Kremlin's army since the beginning of the week. Meanwhile, according to the UNHCR data, more than six million people have been displaced since the beginning of the war. The war in Ukraine has prompted Finland and Sweden to apply for membership in the Atlantic Defense Alliance, NATO. The request was formally submitted this week. I warmly welcome the request of Finland and Sweden to join NATO. You are our closest partners, stated Jens Soltenberg, Secretary General of the Atlantic Alliance, while receiving the two countries' ambassadors. Turkey, however, blocked the talks that were supposed to start right away, a move to expedite the Nordic countries' requests. The opposition is due to accusations that the Swedish and Finnish governments are hosting members of Kurdish militant groups, which Ankara considers terrorist organizations. NATO enlargement must be approved by all 30 members and ratified by their parliaments, which could take up to a year. We will now completely change the subject and go to France. Elizabeth Bourne has been appointed Prime Minister by Emmanuel Macron. Bourne is the first woman premier in France since Edith Cresson, who 30 years ago was appointed by then-president François Mitterrand. The newly appointed prime minister, in her first speech, said that her priorities are the international situation and the climatic and ecological challenge. The decision was greeted with approval by members of the European Democratic Party. EDP's secretary-general, Sandro Gozzi, tweeted... After 30 years, a progressive and competent woman who has already proven her qualities and abilities as minister in the Philippe and Castex governments finally returns to Matignon. Let's stay in France, but this time we'll talk about the upcoming legislative elections. The vote, which will be held in France next 12th and 19th of June, will serve to renew the lower house of the French parliament. The four main challengers, individual parties and coalitions are... Ensemble Citoyenne, a center-leaning coalition of which President Macron's party is a member, Union de la Droite et du Centre, a center-right coalition, Nouvelle Union Populaire Écologique et Sociale, a left-wing coalition of which La France Insoumise is a member, and Rassemblement National, Marine Le Pen's party. While voting has yet to take place in France, votes have already been cast in local elections in the region or land of North Rhine-Westphalia last Sunday. Triumphing with 35% of the vote was the Christian Democratic Union, 
It was followed by the Social Democratic Party of current Chancellor Olaf Scholz, which garnered 26% of the vote, down sharply from past elections in 2017. The third largest party is the Green Party, which still recorded an important result. With 18% of the vote, it tripled its 2017 result. For the last update of the day, we go instead to the United Kingdom. London's government submitted a proposal to reject and replace some post-Brexit rules agreed with the EU. Specifically, the post-Brexit agreements created a customs border in the sea between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. The British government's intention is to remove checks on goods exported from Great Britain to Northern Ireland, but they would remain in place for exports to the Republic of Ireland. In case the UK decides to proceed with the bill that disapplies constituent elements of the protocol, the EU will have to respond with all measures at its disposal, said Maros Stefkovic, vice president of the European Commission, raising the specter of a trade war. The first series of today's comments presents different views on Finland and Sweden potentially joining NATO. We begin with the Italian newspaper La Repubblica. For columnist Bernard Guetta, NATO's enlargement is not an unnecessary and dangerous provocation, but rather the consequence of Putin's military aggression. Neither the EU nor the US, in fact, have pushed Finland and Sweden to give up their neutrality. According to Guetta, the Finns fear that Putin might shift his sights to Northern Europe, rather than to Baltic countries that are already NATO members. To those who argue that the entry of new members into the Atlantic Alliance would be a risk, as it could provoke a Russia that would feel surrounded by enemies, Guetta replies that the country is surrounded by definition, yet not by Western countries. And he points out that while Russia borders the EU and NATO, it also borders countries that can be considered allies or under its influence, such as China and Central Asian countries. The problem then for the journalist is not so much how not to provoke Putin, but rather how to stop him. However, the article ends on a different note. Once Russia is stopped, it should not be humiliated but we should instead cooperate with it in order to create the conditions for stability and prosperity in Europe. However, Victor Lapuente, columnist of Spanish newspaper El País, has a different opinion. It is ironic, Lapuente points out, that Putin's aggression towards Ukraine was meant to push NATO away from its borders, and now it will end up bringing it closer. On the other hand, it is equally ironic for the West that Helsinki and Stockholm decision will increase the sense of danger across the continent. Years ago, the columnist recalls, a journalist asked Putin what he would do if Finland joined NATO. The answer was, today on the other side of the fence we see a Finnish soldier, but if Finland joins NATO, we will see an enemy. Despite the fear that is spreading across the continent, Sweden and Finland's request for membership is politically sound and ethically correct. Both countries, in fact, know that they could have fallen on the other side of the Berlin War and look fearfully at the renewed Russian expansionism. Concluding the editorial, La Puente also considers the cultural, therefore not just the military, aspect of a potential NATO membership. Few memberships would be more coherent than those bringing two of the most democratic nations in the world 
into a club formed with the purpose to unite exactly these types of states. For the third and last editorial on the subject, we go to Germany and the Süddeutsche Zeitung newspaper. For Stephen Cornelius, security is not a matter of belief, but of calculation and risk assessment. These are always the result of external circumstances, the course of history and geography, the journalist explains. NATO membership would be a historic step. It would archive for good the idea of non-alignment and neutrality, which was viable during the Cold War. Indeed, now, Moscow is no longer a predictable neighbor. The stabilizing logic of the blocs vanished. Putin's Russia has embraced terrifying despotism and brute force as part of its survival program. In this context, then, for Cornelius, Russia played an active role in pushing the two northern European countries into the arms of NATO. The enlargement process is not a sinister CIA conspiracy, but follows the free needs of sovereign states, the columnist argues. In conclusion, the decision of Sweden and Finland follows a securitarian logic and is the result of a sober and uncontroversial assessment. An alliance of 30 states is stronger than the solitary existence of neutrality. In the second series of editorials, we will instead hear some opinions focused on renewable energies. We begin with the British newspaper Financial Times. According to Heather Grab, the EU features a historically strong leadership when it comes to climate policies. Having made legally binding commitments to climate neutrality and having created an ambitious policy framework to meet them. Unlike the United States and other global partners, Europe appears to have taken seriously its commitment to the ecological transition. That European energy policies alone are not enough. Climate change is a global problem, and as such we need everyone to participate in fighting it. The decrease of emissions on one continent will not help if the same continent continues importing products made with dirty energy elsewhere in the world, she explains. Among these imports are, ironically, the raw materials needed to produce solar panels. For Grab, it is therefore necessary for high-income countries to use resources more efficiently by moving to a circular economy. This would also make their economies less vulnerable from external supply chains. In conclusion, the columnist argues that the EU should help other regions of the world change their economic systems, not just threaten them with measures other parts of the world would interpret as greenwashed protectionism. The next editorial comes instead from the French newspaper Les Echos. In his commentary, Julien Noé writes that our entire way of producing and consuming energy needs to be thought through again, with a focus on citizen participation. This global market in which the price of electricity is indexed to the price of fossil fuels and whose increases are invariably passed on to consumers is putting electricity suppliers at risk, the journalist explains. For now, the French government seems in favor of a mixed energy system. This is a wrong perspective, according to Noé. The alternative cited to compensate for potential shortages, such as liquefied natural gas, are not very reassuring. The preferable path would be to move to a fully renewable energy system. The latter offers, by its very nature, incomparable advantages in terms of investment and operating costs, says the French list. The context in which we are taking our steps is unprecedented, with many interwining crises. 
However, the editorial ends by writing that we have all the cards in order to build our energy future around renewable energy and citizens. For the last editorial of the day, we cross the Atlantic Ocean and go to the pages of the Boston Globe. The article's author, Jeff Howe, reflects on the fact that we should look at the use of nuclear energy from a different perspective. Howe starts by pointing out that by the end of the year, in the wake of a series of protests, Germany will shut down three nuclear reactors. This will make it even more dependent on polluting fossil fuels. But German dependence on Russian oil and gas imports goes back a long way. In 2011, after the Fukushima accident, the decision was made to drastically reduce nuclear power production. If Germany had kept the 17 plants operating before 2011, the country could import 60% less gas from Russia, the columnist argues. For how, moreover, technological advances have made nuclear power increasingly clean and safe, as well as having a significantly lower impact in terms of human lives compared to fossil fuels. The abandonment of nuclear power in Germany is a result of a policy born out of the whims of passion, not the certainties of science, the journalist says. We are now at the end of our 11th episode of the podcast, The Window on the World. Before closing, we would like to remind you that the finance ministers of the Eurozone countries will meet next Monday. On this meeting and other European and international issues, we will update you next week. Research and writing for this episode was done by Danielle Lutza. And behind the mic, it's me, your host, Gail Rago. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, take care and goodbye.